Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, and you know, I just did a ladies' class in Shul, and I came up with another thing on Pasha Snoch, and I'm just going to share it with you. It doesn't matter how many we do. Uh, today's uh, Parsha, this will be the third insight. It's no, it just came up. Uh, so I want to thank Mishpach Stefanski. As always, and let's get right into it. They're talking about the story, this oracle that you have in the Parsha, where after Noah has the whole internet where he's naked and all the rest of it, and shame and common yafis and so forth, so um, he has this famous blessing and curse. Uh, what exactly does he say? He says, "Oror Kanan Evadavodim He curses Kanan, uh, and then he says these interesting sukim: "Baruch Hashem El Hashem Bihimchan Eved Lomo." Baruch Hashem El Hashem, God should bless the holy shame. Okay, um, the tents of shame. Yaftel Kim Liyefes Viyishkan Bali Shame, Bikanan Eved Lomo. This is a real oracle, meaning it could be read in a lot of different ways. And I was just thinking that I usually don't give much thought to it, but today I did, and especially in terms of history and subsequent history and historiosophy, as they call it, to you can see over here patterns in history. It's very interesting the different ways of reading it. And the Chazal do it, and the Mefarshim, and so on and so forth. I'm just going to scratch the surface on this today. But since we spoke about it in the class, I'll share it with you. Um, the regular way, at least me, is I'm always thinking about that well-known Gemara, Yafta Lohimi Yafes, Yafes Gambali Shane. The Yaft comes the word Yafet. In other words, Yafta Lohimi Yafes is, the word Yaft is a probably a unique word. And when you have a unique word, in the Chumash, or the Tanakh, it ain't clear what it means. You may suggest interpretations, and I'm serious about this, I'm not being funny, and they may be plausible, right? They may be plausible. But that doesn't cover the totality of the possible meanings of it. Uh, even without being from and saying the Torah is infinite, but death. You know, I'm just saying, the Hebrew language is of such a nature, you can really spin it in a lot of different ways. You can spin it a lot of different ways. And so, the thing goes like this. Um, you have to, this is how the Gemara puts it, and I'm sure you've heard it before. You have to tell him, that God will give beauty to Ephes, which is one of the sons of Noah, and it will dwell in the tents of Shane. The beauty of Ephes, this is how they justified Historically, in the time of the Second Temple period, and subsequently, the practice of writing Sefer Torahs in Greek and using them in the synagogue services. Once upon a time, in many places, it sounds funny to us today, the Torah was read in Greek, not in Hebrew. Notice the Sefer Torah you had in the Orange Kodesh had no Hebrew in it. It was entirely in Greek. 
this morning in Megillah somewhere. And the question is, can you use it? And the answer is they did. And Rabbi Gamliel, if I remember correctly, justifies it by saying, that the best part of Yefes, meaning Yefes is considered the father of the Greeks, where do you get that from? If you want to understand that, it's very simple. This is the rabbinic, I don't want to say mythology because that's not the right word, but the rabbinic um, understanding of how these worked out. They have a concept of 70 nations. You know, you just finished Sukkot. And if you counted up all their carbonas, the bulls, it comes out to 70. You know, 18, 17, 16, whatever. And since there's 70 of those, they say it's connected to 70 nations. Where do you get the 70 nations? It's in Noah. Get the article, Blue Chumash, the Stone Chumash, and look at page 47. And you know, when it says all the begets, this one had this one, and this one had this one, and this one had this one. So if you look at the bottom, they give you a chart. And you'll see, Shem Chum Yafis, going right to left. I'm looking at it right now. In the Stone Chumash, the art scroll, on page uh, 47, as they said before. Right? And um, Shem Chum Yafis. If you look at Yafis, you see his children. And you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Gomer, Mogog, Madai, Yavan, Ding, Madai. I'm sorry, Yavan. Tubal, Meshech, Tiras. So you see, Yavan is mentioned as one of the children of Yafes, even though at that time there's no Greece, right? They came later. But the idea would be, and the Jewish understanding of it, that the, what you and I call the Greeks are identical with the descendants of Yafes, even though I don't know how that works out historically. You have the same problem with arguing that Rome comes from Esau. But in the from uh, narrative, that's how they saw it. So the Greeks and the Macedonians, who we encounter in Hanukkah time, and all that in the Greek culture, was supposed to be descended from Yephes. Okay? And by the way, Gomer, one of the sons, but interestingly, Mogog is one of them. So when we talk about Gogomogog, which is uh, the World War III, attacking the Jews, that's from Yephes. So on the one hand, you have Yavon, the other one you have a Mogog. A third one, and you just look at the chart, is Ashkenaz, who comes from Gomer. Um, when the Jews moved to northern Europe, I mean the Rhineland, that kind of area, they called it Ashkenaz. When we say we're Ashkenazic Jews, we don't mean we descended from Ashkenaz. It means these are Jewish communities who moved to a part of the world which colloquially became to be called Ashkenaz. Right? Another one there is Togarmo, which in later Jewish thought was Turkey. Um, when you see about the Turks, they're like Togarmo. Even though it's not necessarily from Yefes, you know. If you take it very seriously, then you're making an argument that the Turks who are there today, who come from the Ottoman Turks, who come from the Seljuk Turks, you know, somehow or other connected to Yefes. I don't know where you get that from. But put that aside. Let's say, as the regular Chazal do, the Yefes is the ancestor of the Greeks. The Yavanir is, is the Yavanim in some way. So they said, you can have a Torah in Greek because it's the most beautiful of the languages and it can be successfully translated from Hebrew to Greek. We always have a question. 
can you translate successfully from Hebrew to any other language? As we all know, um, before Arya Kaplan Art Scroll, there weren't any really good translations. They're not perfect, but they're better than the preceding translations. Because the preceding translation, like the JPS, is heavily influenced by the King James Bible. Who says they got it right? It's the It's difficult to translate um, expressions from language to language. And especially when you get to oracles, like Ravi Avot Soir, or Yafta Lahim Liefes, that we're talking about over here. But the way the Chazal did it was to say that, yeah, that the Greek language is good. It can be used for a safer Torah. For laning. Okay? Remarkable as that sounds. Okay. Uh, which, by the way, tells you the, the um, cultural situation during the Second Temple period in what we call the Diaspora in the parts of the, where the Jewish communities were heavy, like Egypt, Greece, Asia Minor, and so forth. Not Bavel in those places where it was Aramaic. They never came up with the idea that the Targum, like Unculus, can replace the Hebrew. That can only be a supplement to the Hebrew. Shnaya Mikra, and then Echa Targum. But by the Greek times, it wasn't a Shnaya Mikra. Or if you've been kind of Shnaya Mikra, you did in Greek. Isn't that funny? Do you live 2,000 years ago? 2,500 years ago. And the Shnai Mikra is in Greek. <laughs> I know what the Echa Targum is. I know what the Echa Targum is. Well, the answer is they had Targums in Greek. In other words, in addition to translations, you had, uh, uh, who was it? Achilles, Theodosian. There are such things that they were Targums in Greek. So it's a complicated subject. Now, that is not from the word Yofe, it's not how Rashi, based on Unculus and others, translated. It's weird. And the Radak, they say Yaft is from the word Yiftach or something like that, or Yarchiv, which they understand to be expand. So when Noah blesses Yefes, he says, Yaftalhim Yefes, that Elkim will expand Yefes, they'll make you great. It's a very unusual way. Look, the Radak knows Hebrew better than I do, but it's a strange. But nevertheless, that's how I'm a Farshim translate. I think just about everybody does. So you see it coming from some word of Yiftach or something along those lines. It is unusual. Uh, okay, Sean. So in other words, it's a prediction, not that Yefes will be beautiful or will symbolize beauty, and that's uh, an interesting prediction, because it means the Greek culture becomes the culture which which gives the standards for beauty, um, which is kind of true. Uh, the Greeks are some st stupid, uh, dumb little people in the Athens and Sparta and Corinth and these little places, tiny groups, but their cultural uh, uh, significance vastly outnumbers is Yaftel Himliavis, their small size, the culture they produce, became eventually Western culture. Our ideas of what's cool and not cool today do, in many regards, go back to the Greeks. When it comes, for example, to architecture, there's always two types of architecture that are popular, the current phase and the Greek phase. People always like to move into a house that's a classic mode, you know, with pillars and marble and all that kind of, that's cool. Nowadays, there are other models as well. You know, 
but the Greek one, the classics as they call it, is always popular. Um, who's pretty? Who's handsome? A fatso, a skinny, a this, that, the other is the Greek. You understand? Now, it's funny in this regard because um, certainly the Greek culture expanded and still does. And as a matter of fact, in the form of the Western culture, it's uh, dominant today. All the Islamic terrorism is a desperate fight against the spread of Western culture, if you understand what's going on in the world today. And even in some of the Asian countries like China, they resent the fact very deeply that the Western mores, you know, are, are, are dominant, so that even the Chinese leaders now wear Western clothes. Um, why, didn't, why shouldn't everybody dress like old China, you know, with pigtails? Why isn't that popular around the world? You have to him Levis, get over it. What's interesting is, when you pursue this, it's a Vyishkin Bali shame. Now, what does that mean? Again, listen closely. Is that going on Elohim? Is it going on Yefes? <laughs> right? Is it going on Elohim? Is it going on Yefes? Long ago already, like Uncleus, they don't want to say Yishkin Bali Shem is going on Yefes. Even though the Gemara says that, the basis of permitting the Savior to turn Greek is it's written in Greek, but it can be in the Aron Kodesh, in the Holy Shein. But that sounds offensive to Jewish sensibilities. I'm sure anybody listening to this podcast right now who's real from, will say, well, how can you have a Greek Torah? It's a, it's a problem. Isn't Hebrew much better than Greek? Plus in Kodesh? And therefore, that sensibility, that nationalistic sensibility, is reflected in the idea that Yishkin Balishim is not referring to Yefes. No, it's not like the Gemara. And the Chazal is one thing, and then the Peshat is another. And the way you'll read it, and Rashi does, is, you have to, I mean, it goes from Munkulis, you have to Lakim Yefes, okay, God will endow Yefes with expansion, power, beauty, whatever, but God hangs out with all Shane. <laughs> Get it? In other words, the Ephes is nice, but the Shekhinah really by the Oli Shane. That, that's, that's where Hashem feels comfortable. Not with the beautiful, but with the uh, holy. Uh, you already see like a Hershian type vart, and Hersh goes wild on this, in which the right combination is when the Yefes is acknowledges Yishkabal the Shin is Bandoli Shane. The values have to come from the Holy Shane. Now what's funny is the story comes from the following fact. Vaikach Shane Vayefes is a symbol, as we all know. Noah's lying there naked. Apparently the naked body is a negative. Is a negative. It had once been a positive in time of Adam and Eve. But by the time of Noah, especially when he's drunk, it's a negative. And Shane Vayefes covered up with a similar. Right? Didn't even look. Isn't that the opposite of how you understand the uh, the Yavan? The Yefes? You see what I'm saying? Why didn't Yefes say like this? Noah, our grandfather or whatever, he looks fine. 
The human body is a marvel. It's a microcosm. Every piece is part of a grand uh, scheme, which is the truth. So I see somebody naked lying there. What's the problem? You know, get over your period. You see, it's a marvel. But that's not what happened. But notice, Yefes covers up the nakedness of Noah when he is led, when the thing is initiated by shame. It doesn't say, Vayikach Yefes Vashem is a simla. It says, Vayikach Shem Vayefes is a simla. The story is interesting. Shame says to Yefes, let's cover him up. And Yefes says, okay. So in other words, when Yefes is guided by shame, okay. You see? So it's, it's like the Shechina dwells by shame, or maybe even Yefes is okay when he dwells by shame. When Yefes is not by shame, it's not good. That is the Hershey approach big time. Because Samson Rainfall Hershey, of course, in terms of his education, is a product of shame and Yefes. He learned to tell he went to Yeshiva or something like that. Something like that. They also went to a classical gymnasium where he learned Greek and, and Latin. You know, he, he did that way. And the result, the term derecheres, and all those, if the, the Yefes part is subordinated properly to shame, then you have term derecheres. Hirsch is always complaining about the possibility that you go the other way around. Then you have Reformed Judaism. You see? So it's just very, very interesting. Uh, again, Yishkan Balishen, that means that the Ephes will be in the Olishen. However, that is by far not the only way you can read this. One cannot help but notice, like the Barbanel does, do we have here a prediction of the future? Because Eretz trouble was conquered by Ephes, by the Greeks and the Romans. The, when the Barbanel writes this, I'm sure he means the Romans come from Asa and all that, but what happened to the Roman Empire that controlled Israel? It, it Hellenized. I'm referring to the Eastern Roman Empire. When the Romans took over the Middle East, so then you had a gigantic Roman Empire extending from England on the one hand to the borders of Iraq on the other, as we would say today. Um, all the land to the Mediterranean. But if you know the Roman Empire history, you can sort of split the Roman Empire in half, which they eventually did, the western half and the eastern half. And in the east, the Romans ruled, but the culture was Greek. Even the Roman administration, to some degree, did it in Greek. And eventually they went full bore in Greek, because when they switched to be the Eastern Roman Empire, they Greekized, they Hellenized, and what became what we, you and I call the Byzantine Empire. The Byzantine Empire was the Roman Empire, but in Greek. And that's when they went Christian. And I would even say that the Christianizing of the Roman Empire, which of course starts with Constantine in the 4th century, is the conquest of the Latin by the Greek. Because the New Testament is in Greek. Maybe you don't know that. And it took a while before the Western Latin ones came up with their own Bible, all in Latin, called the Vulgate. But Asim is a Greek. So then if you were to Barbanel or uh, some other Mephoshim also, I think uh, maybe the Akedah, 
Noach foresees that the land of Canaan will be conquered by the descendants of Yephes. Oy, gewalt. Yaftel himli Yephes. God will expand Yephes. And doggone it, Yishkembali shame. They will dwell in the tents of shame. The Greeks, the Romans, built first a pagan temple on the side of the base of Megish, and then they made it into a church. So I'm talking about from the 130s to the 630s. So for 500 years, the base of Megish was occupied by a, a church with idols in it, either a pagan one in the first half of the Roman Empire in the time of Hadrian and those guys, you know, Hadrian, Marcus Aurelius, and the successors. But after Constantine, they made it into a big church, again full of idols. Because at that time, the Greek Orthodox Church had no problem with idols. In later centuries, they resought this, and then they say three-dimensional idols are no good, but pictures are okay. That's the icons of the Eastern Church. But it means, from a Jewish perspective, the base of Mish was occupied by certain Abodazars. The Evis will one time dwell in the Oli and even, I would say, displace the Shechina, Yishkon, displace the Shechina in the Oli Shem. The tent of shame, the Iker tent of shame, would be the base of Megish. Right? On the other hand, which is a whole uh, genre of Mepharshim going that direction. And the words work. Right? Um, on the other hand, Oli Shem do not necessarily mean the tent of shame. Although they would seem to be, because it says, Baruch Elohim Elohim Vichanan Eved Lomo. Uh, doesn't say all shame though. It says location. I said it wrong. Uh, all shame can also mean the famous, t- the tents of fame. You know, shame. Uh, the Tower of Bovel said, Vanasa Elon shame. We want to be famous. They, they didn't say, let's be Semitic. Shame would have disapproved of the Migdal Bovel because that was for, you know, for purposes. And shame, as you know, for shame and Abel was still firm. So shame can mean a renowned name. So Yavis will be expansion and it will dwell in the in, in, in the greatest fame. There's no question about this. Once again, the culture we have, the constructed culture, is uh, the Ephes. Right? What happened to all the nations of the ancient world that you've never even heard of? That's my point. Aside from the ones that we know about. Look, Read the 70 nations that you have over here. Elam, Asher, Baal, Lord, Aram, Uz, Chul, Gesser, Mash, this, that, and the other. Right? Arki, Sini, this. Gone. Gone. The only one you have anything left over is uh, is Yovan. Look at it. Elisha, Tarshish, Ketim, Dodonin, Tva, Rama, Savtra, blah, blah, blah. The only one you have left over is Yovan. Right? The only one you have left over is Yefes. It's kind of interesting in that regard. Right? V'yishkem ba'ol shame, And so Noah is blessing him to say, uh, you will have great fame and you will survive. Of all my descendants, they will disappear. Now, I don't mean they'll be killed out. I mean, they'll lose their identity. History has massacres, but usually what happens is the small groups become subsumed in bigger groups. And they lose their identity. 
I plan to talk about that a little bit later when we, uh, about when we get to Tefillah this week. It's very common. Um, not literally. What happened to Amun, Moab, Edom, and all that stuff? Really. Were they exterminated? No. But they became absorbed into larger peoples. So, you know what I mean? If you see somebody today, you might uh, identify as a, I don't know, you know, a Arab, a Chinese, a Turk, a Greek, a Bulgarian. But really, 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 really might go back to Mo for all I know. Or better yet, Saudi Arabia. Are the Imams all Arabs come from Ishmael? Eh, there's all kind of stuff there. Some Edom, Abba, Mo, Aram, I don't know. They'll lose. Kitim, Dodonim, Svav, Achavilo, and all that business. But Yovan still maintains the identity of Yovan. The irony is, if you know the Greek people, they've been conquered and raped all the time. They may not be from the original Greeks, but they identify. They will dwell in all shame. They'll still go by the name and have the fame. It's a very intriguing historiosophic you know, uh, uh, insight, I think. Because Noah, long ago, 5,000 years ago, that's a long time, is saying there's 70 people over here, but Yishkan Balishan, Yefes, because they covered up my nakedness, will have eternal fame. Subsequently, Yefes kind of identifies with nakedness, sort of. I don't want to be one of these Rebbe's to use all the speeches about the naked body in Hanukkah, because it's not actually true. The Greeks, it's sort of true, but not really. The Greeks were not getting to the naked body. That's the Romans. The Romans are vulgar. Everybody knows the Romans and their culture vulgarized the Greek stuff. But by from standards, they're naked. In other words, they're scantily clothed. The Greek gods are always clothed. When the Romans make statues of the Greek gods, they're naked. Because the Romans were sick dogs. But the Greeks had a certain uh, aesthetic. And uh, they covered up things strategically. Let's put it that way. So they're all clothes, but, you know, naked, uh, scantily so. So by from standards, is a naked. You understand? Look, by from standards, a guy walks in, in a short sleeve shirt, and they're daven, just with a yarmulke. They say, you, you, you're dominating for I'm naked, you know? But you know what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have over here Noah uh, predicting, you know, because you did something about my nakedness, therefore I'll give you eternal fame. That's just very interesting. Now, I'm sure there's more to it than that, but I just wanted to share, call your attention to this, so you may on Shabbos be interested in looking up all the different mafarshim over there. Um, there is a Targum Unkelis. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. A Targum Yonason, which really means Targum Yushalmi. In other words, if you lived at the time of the mm, Baishani or the aftermath, there were a lot of converts to Judaism, 100%, 50%, 20%. I've spoken about this many times. A lot of Gentiles were attracted to Judaism in one form or another. So don't be surprised. Where another way of learning about this is, Yafta Lahim Yefes, that Yefes will expand, or I would even say, listen closely, this would be my translation. Yafta Lahim Yefes, God will one day endow Yefes with a, with, with a, a feeling, 
a sensibility of true beauty, they will convert and enter the, the tents of shame. Right? Okay, let me get the Targum here. Okay, I just pulled out a Nicholas Gedolus. We're on 927, by the way, for those who are interested. You know, chapter 9, verse 27. Again, Here's the Targum. You know It's not Yonasan. You know, it's Targum Yishalmi. No, the Targum is from long ago. Yishapar Hashem Tchumidiyefes. God should be, uh, should beautify the Tchum of Yefes. I would translate that as he should endow them with a sense, feeling for true beauty. True beauty. For Yizgar and Benoi, and so Yefes' his children will be Megayer. For Yidrishad, Ben Midrishad, Deshen. And they'll go to the Yeshiva of Shen. V'yichan Avalahem. So you can read it that way. So I think we've gone to five or six or seven different possible ways of reading it. And each one is Gavaldic. Each one works. And each one actually conforms to what happened subsequently in history in one way or another. And it's just a wonderful example of the plasticity of the Hebrew language and, you know, the many different ways that biblical oracles can be interpreted without any particular interpretation damaging the integrity of the other one. At least that's what I think. And um, it's a wonderful example of this kind of business. We have a number of these oracles, in Bracious especially, and it behooves intelligent people to try to take a look at it. I'm sure I haven't exhausted the subject, and you can now go look and find other Mephorshim if, if they have a good insight into it. Anyway, once again, I want to thank Stefanski, family, and uh, I'm indulging myself doing three on Parsha Snoch, but there's a lot of good stuff in this Parsha. Anyway, um, with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.